Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. Right now with me on the line, I have a legend. If you grew up in the 90s like I did, this man graced your face on Teen Summit in Rap City, also on any other programming that you may find on BET. I always wanted to be a Posse member, but unfortunately, I couldn't do that because I wasn't in the DMV area. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Prince DeJour, welcome to Beyond the Album right, Cover, right. sir. Thank you so much, Jarrell. How you doing, my brother? How's it going? I'm, I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking the time out to do this interview, and I feel that it is no fitting problem. given that BT is turning 40 years old this year. Yeah, that's right. BT is turning 40 this year, man. It's amazing. The years just flew by so quickly. We all just sort of amazed at uh, how everything has evolved over the years. But uh, we're really excited about it. Because mm, normally I would go to the beginning, but since we're talking about BET turning 40, I want to get your take right now on how do you feel about the impact that you have made and the network has made as a whole and how it was able to give license to all the young, new African-American creatives that we've seen in the space in the past four decades and saying that BT was the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, you know, it's honorable, man. Um, you know, what's kind of cool is the fact that my kids have grown up in school and they see, you know, the work that we've done. Um, they've seen the groundwork that we've laid, the foundation that we've laid for a lot of entertainers. Um, you know, we can go on and on. The list goes on and on from Mary J. Blige to Outkast to Puff Daddy to Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G., to um, Snoop Dogg, N.W.A. We work with just about every artist, Goody Mob. Pretty much we were, you know, besides MTV, BET, we were the only game in town for at least African-American artists. And, and I mentioned MTV because, you know, of course, that wasn't an African-American network. So BET was the only place across the country and internationally that we were able to give these local artists or national artists and international artists an opportunity to have their videos played in rotation and, and simultaneously test all the lives of people all across the world. And so we were the only game in town. And so it was a blessing to be a part of, a, you know, a pioneering move uh, with BET. Cable television was something new at the time. People didn't have, um, the, you know, the iPads and iPhones and, Back then, if you really wanted your music or your fashion or any kind of entertainment news, you didn't go to your cell phone back then because we didn't have smartphones. But we were smart, <laughs> and people tuned into BET every single day. And uh, we had a pleasure, man, just serving um, the community by way of Teen Summit, as well as when I was hosting Rap City. I pretty much grew up on the network. I started when I was about 17 years old. And so BET, you know, was just, you know, a dream come true for me as well. I used to watch Donnie Simpson on television. I always said I would love to do that one day. And I remember one day sitting at home after school watching BET video soul with Donnie Simpson. It's almost like a blink of an eye. And next you know, I was on television and people were watching me. So it was just a dream come true. It was definitely a divine intervention, a spiritual intervention. It was a part of uh, my life work, my purpose. And, um, you know, that was just sort of the beginning. Yeah, and BT was appointment television, and also you had your copy of YSB magazine if you wanted to get exactly. into the fashion and everything. For those of you that don't know what YSB is, young sisters <laughs> and brothers. If you know, you young know. Young sisters and brothers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hey, man, look, you remember more than I do. I'm loving it. <laughs> hey, 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 like That's I was really telling cool. you, I sat in front of the TV like 
yeah. religiously watching Donnie. And when I had a chance to interview him, I told him this. I was like, because of you, I got into broadcasting. You know, Video Soul wow. was the only wow. way my mom my mom could shut me up and keep me quiet. Got in Soul Train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But trust me, you and I both, man, because I used to watch Donnie Simpson. Donnie Simpson, of course, was from Detroit, but he became super-duper famous in the DMV you know, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, because that's where his career really took off in radio. So Donnie was a huge radio personality long before he even got on BET. BET just took it to the next level. And then at that time, which was a blessing, because Donnie and I were the first, um, or, well, actually not the first, because Alvin Jones, I don't know if you know him, but he was the Unseen VJ. We had a show called The Unseen VJ. That was Alvin Jones. He was also a radio personality in D.C. But there were several of us, Paul Porter, a few of us who did radio in D.C. already. Now, I had never done radio before. BET was my first experience, you know, um, you know, nationally and internationally doing television and all. And by way of BET, after being there for several years, that's when radio came calling and they reached out to me. And uh, this, this gentleman just walked up to me and said, hey, man, you have a pretty cool voice. You ever thought about doing radio? And he offered me an opportunity. And so Donnie and I both were simultaneously doing BET and radio in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So Donnie did the morning show. So the theme pretty much was waking you up in the morning with Donnie Simpson and tucking you in at night with Prince Deju. I did the slow jams in like a quiet storm kind of format. So so Donnie and I have been working together for many, many years. Man, he's always been a, a dear friend, an icon, um, someone who I've looked up to as well and certainly inspired me. He still inspires me. You know, you know, we connect all the time here in D.C., man, and, you know, community events. We did something for the homeless around Thanksgiving of last year. Brought a lot of different celebrities out, and uh, we just love doing community work together, man. He's always been an inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. And definitely want to congratulate Donnie on being inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. So big up to exactly. Donnie Simpson for that honor. No you know, no got his start on WKYS, later WPGC. And yeah, exactly. if you don't know Donnie Simpson, Google him, or you can catch my throwback interview <laughs> with him, along with several yeah. other former BC personalities that mm-hmm. were mentioned at the top of this interview. Now, for Team Summit, did you audition for it, and did you have to go on multiple callbacks before you actually got the role of being a posse member? Wow. So now let's go here. So that, Now this is where the real story begins. And this is what a lot of people don't know unless they've heard me interview this before. But my life was very interesting before I got on BET. You know, I, I was a kid who grew up in the church like most people. I was a church drummer. I was a singer. Matter of fact, Kenny Lattimore, the R&B singer, we grew up together in church. He was the lead singer, and I was a drummer. And so we all, you know, grew up in the church. But like most kids who grew up in the inner city, you know, my, my, my neighborhood that I grew up in wasn't the most positive neighborhood. You know, we had drugs and crime and just the typical urban, you know, ghettos that you see across America, unfortunately. BET was right around the corner. Well, not around the corner, but not far, maybe five or ten minutes from my neighborhood. BET was in a pretty nice neighborhood, but not far from there. As you can imagine, there was the hood. So I used to drive past it and look at BET every day. To make a longer story short, I um, I got caught up in my neighborhood and trying to be like everybody else instead of just being who I was. I was always a very unique and creative kind of guy. I was different from all the kids I grew up with. You know, I knew I didn't fit in, but I was trying to find my place in the world, trying to find how to fit in, you know, in this, this concrete jungle called the hood. And so I started selling drugs. And uh, I never used drugs or anything like that, but I started selling drugs, and I became pretty big at it, um, even in D.C. So years before people knew me on BET, I was known in the DMV 
as, as you know, DeJour, the guy who was real big in the, in the drug game. And, um, you know, at the time it wasn't as violent as it is now. People were just kind of getting into it just to make a little money or whatever. But I ended up uh, excelling to the top even in that. And so I was I was a celebrity in D.C. way before I became a celebrity on BET. And I'm not saying that to glorify it in any kind of way, but I'm just explaining to you the path that I took. And so I dropped out of high school for two years. I was selling drugs. I was really big in the game. The local news in D.C. did a sort of a story on my life, you know, how I changed my life around. And so I decided to make a decision to get out of the drug game. That's right before the crack epidemic started. Um, back then we were selling, you know, marijuana and, you know, powdered cocaine. Then we started getting into the crack epidemic, which, um, you know, took D.C. by storm and just kind of just blew everybody's mind, which most people heard about the mayor even in D.C. That's just how powerful the drugs were. It, it, it pretty much spilled over into politics. You know, and we were a part of that whole, you know, experience in the DMV in Chocolate City in Washington, D.C. So I decided to go back to high school and to get my credit. And so because I already dropped out of school for two years, I had to go back and go to day school, night school, and then I had to go to summer school <laughs> to make up all the credit that I missed for two years. Believe it or not, though, when I came back to high school, this is how good God is. I came back and I graduated with honors. Because I was always a pretty smart kid, but I just got distracted by trying to be like everybody else, trying to be like all the cool dudes, you know, in the neighborhood, all the girls, like the guys with the fly cars and all the fancy jewelry. And, you know, of course, selling drugs was the fastest way we knew how to make that kind of money. When I graduated, this is how God works. So whoever's listening to this interview, just look at the dynamic of how God really works. It's amazing. Because had I not have gone back to high school, I would have never gotten the opportunity to be on BET. So... I went to school, and a school teacher that a lot of kids really uh, gravitated to was a really cool teacher. We used to always sit back and have conversations about sex, love, um, you know, African-American history. Kids would just come in this class and just talk about different topics every day. You know, most kids didn't want to do the science and math. You know how kids are. You know, they would just do it just to get by. But in this particular class, we used to love it because all we had to do was just talk. Like, like had sort of like a, a rap session or a conversations every day. The teacher would just open the floor with different topics, and we would all talk. For some interesting reason, kids would always gravitate to my desk. You know, even even before and after class, we would just sit back, and somehow it just, I guess I had a voice even back then, but I didn't know what my gift was. And kids would just gather their seats around my chair, and somehow I was this, this leader, this voice, just speaking to the kids. We'd talk about any kind of topic. I just had answers for them about everything, you know. I didn't even know I knew that much information, but God has always given me a gift of wisdom um, since the you know, very beginning of my life. And so thank God that I was a part of this class because BET, Sheila Johnson, who was the wife of Bob Johnson, um, you know, who was the CEO of BET at the time, she came up with a concept of the show called Teen Summit, where she wanted to give young African-American kids an opportunity to speak about topics that they deal with every day, drugs, alcohol, teen pregnancy, um, the college experience, you know. You know, it's just different topics that kids can talk about, music and fashion. And so black teenagers never had a voice until then to be nationally heard on television. Um, that's something that you, know, you never really saw a lot of black kids talking about what's going on in their world. And so BET gave us that opportunity. And so they asked for an audition, and they wanted to audition all the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area schools, and they asked each school to send two to three representatives from each school to audition for this show called Teen Summit on BET. This was like 1987, believe it or not. And so um, the school teacher said, man, I recognize that you, you know, you came back to school 
You was out there on the streets, but you seem to be doing very well. You're a positive brother. A lot of kids love listening to you. You're a leader. You're a natural-born leader. I'm thinking to myself, me? I'm like, nah, not really. And so um, so I end up auditioning with two other kids from high school. And believe it or not, all three of us made the audition. And so we, we were part of the Teen Summit, what they called the Teen Summit Posse back then. That's what you were talking about. And so um, when we did Batman, you know, the rest was history. Um, had I not have gone back to school to get my high school diploma, I would have never been able to get on BET. I would have completely missed that opportunity. So God was aligning my life back, you know, on the right path, even though I got off the path. God, you know, through a succession and series of, of, of fortunate and unfortunate events, it led me to my purpose in life. And so that's how I got on Teen Summit. And, um, and once you get past a certain age, what everybody didn't know is I was two years older than all the kids on the show, but I looked pretty young. They look older than me, even though I was older than them. And once you age out of Teen Summit, you no longer can be on the show. And this is my first time kind of becoming like a, I guess as you call it, a celebrity, and people know my name all across the country. So, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to let this opportunity go um, because my background is actually music. I started in performing arts school. I played drums and sang and things at a school called Duke Ellington School of the Arts in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. And so I've always wanted to be around TV, radio, music, that kind of thing. I've always been popular in talent shows and winning competitions in D.C., singing, playing the drums with various bands. And so when I passed the audition for Teen Summit, they told me, now I'm, I'm aging out of the show. I became sort of like one of the main features of the show. We had so many kids who made the audition. They had to rotate different kids on the show. I was one of the only kids out of all the kids who got a chance to be on the show every single week, live on national television, international television on BET. And I was one of the only, and I'm not saying this in a braggadocious way, it was all, you know, God's divine work. What's interesting, out of all the kids on the show, there was probably more than 30 kids, had to rotate four or five groups at a time. I was the only kid on the show, but I was the only kid who got fan mail from all across the country. And it's not because I was the greatest or the smartest. I really believe that God was, again, orchestrating my life in a divine way, where BET recognized that somehow out of everybody on the show, um, I was getting the attention and connecting with all these kids who watch BET all across the world. I got letters from all across the country, you know, Africa, Europe, all across the United States. Somehow kids just always identify with whatever I had to say. And I think it's because everything that we talked about in our topics, I lived it every day. Most of the kids on the show came from the suburbs. They never really experienced drugs or teen pregnancy or alcoholism, that kind of thing. Well, this was stuff I lived in my life every day, you know. Um, you know I'm the youngest of six. You know, all my siblings, we had different fathers, and my father was a functional alcoholic. I had a brother who died from a heroin overdose. So this is a part of my story that most people don't know that, you know, it wasn't really a pretty story, me getting to BET. BET was a part of a divine purpose and a path for me. So God was bringing me into who I really was, introducing me to myself, you know, bring, extracting me out of the hood. And he took me from the hood to the hill, so to speak, as I always explain it to people. So that was my, I know it's a long story. I'm trying to, it's more like a movie, actually. But oh, no, no, no. The, the floor is yours, man. We, I, that's what we do here. We, we, we give <laughs> the full story, no doubt, nothing man. but the truth. Nothing but no the doubt. truth. And well, you, you know, well, you know you're, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned 87 was the audition for yeah. Teen Summit. Yeah. And this is mm -hmm. right around the time when, like you were stating, that the crack epidemic was hitting the DMV. Exactly. Then, you know, a year mm -hmm. prior, we lost Lynn Bias, superstar basketball exactly. player from Maryland. Mm -hmm. And the whole yep. – Maryland, the whole basketball world still hasn't recovered 
from his death because he was exactly. drafted to the Celtics and he was going to be mm-hmm. that lineage. And then also in Baltimore, you had Dunbar High, which produced David oh, yeah. Wingate, mm-hmm. Muggsy Bowles, mm-hmm. a lot of future NBA athletes. And they were speaking of how exactly. the local dope boys were giving them money say, hey, you don't need to be around oh, yeah. this stuff. You focus on the book. Exactly. You focus on the field, on the court. Mm-hmm. You stay out of trouble. And rest in peace, John Thompson. He loomed large over at mm-hmm. Georgetown. He told the dope boys, do not come near my boys. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. But, I mean, I was a part of that, that whole experience, you know. Like I said, we, you know, we were running things in D.C. You know, I, I never considered myself the dope boys, but I guess I was. Just at the time when you're in it, you don't see yourself as that. But if you're selling drugs, I guess you are a dope boy. But I knew a lot of people who knew Lynn Bias and, you know, Georgetown University. Again, my high school was down the street from there in Georgetown. It was like a college prep school of the arts. And so, yeah, man, D.C. was really on fire at that time. So, you know, it was a blessing for me to audition for Team Summit, and that's how pretty much my career took off. People started recognizing my name. You know, um, you know I guess I was, you know, I became what they call a celebrity, although I've never saw myself as a celebrity because I was a kid who was still experiencing pain. So even though I was talking on BET and people were asking for autographs and I just became this household name, this is long before reality shows came out. That was our reality show back in the 80s, you know. You know, BT Summit was our reality show. So, um, you know, but, but, you know, I was able to enjoy the success. But at the same time, you know, it was just, you know, if I looked right over my back, I just came from living in the hood, experiencing all this stuff, you know. Uh, my brother died from a heroin overdose. My father died from alcoholism. They found him dead in this apartment. You know, he just bled to death, man, from simply just drinking too much. Can you imagine that? So I've been through a lot of things. I was a, I was a teen father. Um, when I was on Team Summit, I was a teen father at 17, and, and the, the daughter that I had, her mother got strung out on crack. And so she abandoned, you know, the baby and left me with the baby, and I was a single dad, man. So I used to take my daughter to BET with me every day. So I had a baby in my hand and a diaper bag, believe it or not. And I used to have producers and stuff holding my daughter while I was filming the show. So I was a teen father, only to find out years later after raising this little girl until she was about five years old, that she actually wasn't my child. She got a blood test and found out that she wasn't my child. So, again, my life lives like a movie, man. I'm pretty interested in doing a movie one day. I would love to certainly do a movie. Most people who know my story say, man, this is it's amazing. You know, you need to tell your story. But the truth is, you know, it was all divine setup. So that's how I got on BET. That's how things began to pop off for me. You know, it was a blessing. We interviewed, you know, the biggest celebrities from Puffy, Mary J. Blige. All of these artists were new at the time, but just kind of getting themselves established. And so I was a part of making history while recovering and healing from my own life experiences. And so, um, you know, we brought a lot of people on. Matter of fact, when I was on BET, we didn't even play um, rappers from the South. So now you have, you know, trap music and all that kind of stuff. Back then, it was only the rappers from up north, you know, and then we started dealing with the West Coast. But Southern rappers really didn't have a flavor that a lot of people were ready for at that time. You know, two of the few groups that I remember that we brought on from the, from the South was like the Goody Mob and Outkast. Uh, and, and most of the artists that were with LaFace Records, we did L.A. Reed and Babyface a favor by exposing their artists, and that's what we did. So one part of it was, you know, what I went through on Team Summit and all that. The other part was I started coming into myself, you know, you know, introducing people to the industry, the entertainment industry, by way of BET. And then some years after I did Team Summit, that's when I started to host Rap City on BET. And, you know, I started in that. And, you know, and from there, I became the host of Team Summit years later with Adonda Lewis. And that's when most people always remember that part of Team Summit, but actually that was years after we had already started. So Adonda Lewis and I had the audition 
And even though I was already on the network, but I had to still audition for um, the position of being the host for Teen Summit. Um, by this time, I was in my 20s, you know, and so um, that, that was just a whole other level of success that we experienced with another Lewis and myself. And, of course, Chris Thomas, the comedian, we did Rap City together with Joe Claire as well. Joe Claire came after I did, actually. And, and Tigger, Big Tigger came after Joe. So it's been a series of different hosts that's done it, man. But we've, we, you know, we've definitely made an impact. You know, we made history with BET. No matter what, you know, even though they sold the company, even though people talk about it sometimes, you know, in a positive way, most people speak positively about it. Some people speak negatively because of just how things have changed when they sold the network. But nonetheless, man, we've made an impact, you know, and will forever be, you know, engraved in the hearts and minds of people as being the young host on BET, Donnie Simpson, myself, and others um, that made history, black history. That was BET was simply black history in the making. And, uh, you know, it's forever, man, shining on the hills, you know. Black Star Power. Now with the film, yeah. Now with the taping of Teen Summit, Mm -hmm. was it live to tape, or did you guys have to do shoots like maybe eight or nine in the morning before the airing Mm -hmm. for the East Coast? Well, we did it. We did both. I mean, Teen Summit primarily was a live show, which you know had us all prepared because you know you know if you had any mistakes that you made, it was live on television. (laughs) You couldn't stop and take one and take two. It was so we had to learn to be on our toes at all times. Team Summit came on live every Saturday at twelve noon on you know our time in D.C. But um but then you know for holidays and specials that we would do certain you know specials we would pre-record them and you know film several eight shows at a time and that kind of thing like like most television networks or sitcoms you know we did it that way and so um yeah we did them live and we did them pre-recorded as well. Okay, because I remember there was one episode of Teen Summit. It was where you were showcasing talented teens from, I believe it was around the DMV area, I believe. There was a group called Mm -hmm. Tomboy, and they were signed to (laughs) Fifth Pen. And then also it was a pre-social death escape, singing In Vogue, Hold On. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. You know, and I tell people this all the time. My kids are always laughing about this. But, you know, T.I., well, T.I. wasn't a part of that, that movie, but, uh, his wife was a part of the group Escape along with Candy, Candy Barris, and uh, you know they gave they got their first performance on Team Summit. Matter of fact, when Jermaine Dupree signed them to So So Death, that was their first time coming out live on national television, performing in their very colorful cross color gear. Cross color was the the high fashion at the time, urban wear. And also, believe it or not, a lot of people don't remember this, but Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle did our local Team Summit talent show as well because he's from DC. At the time, a lot of people didn't know who he was. He was up and coming and all, but Dave Chappelle, you know, got to start with us. Um, you know, Escape and a lot of different artists, man. Um, Tigger was one of our DJs back then. We had several different people who evolved from the shows and kind of went on to do their own thing. Matter of fact, Genuine was never on Team Summer, but Genuine was a friend of mine that I grew up with in D.C. And we used to always hang out at the parties in the club. So whenever you saw me, you saw me with my crew, and Genuine was a part of that crew. And uh, initially, we started out thinking about singing and coming up with a singing and a rap group together. Because, you know, I sing and rap and all that, and Genuine was singing and dancing and all that. But we never really got together and did that. I ended up going with BET, and he eventually started pursuing the music career. And that's how he met Timberland and Missy Elliott and Aaliyah and them. So we both kind of split ways to get our own thing. But, you know, it's always family here in D.C. We all meet back up, man, and just, you know, break bread, man, and just celebrate life. Now, with the topics on Team Summit, was it pre-discussed in advance, and then you kind of sort of knew which posse member was going to say what, or was it more like roll it and whatever they say goes? 
Oh, no, it was always pre-produced. I mean, we had, you know, one or two production meetings prior to filming. So we would come during the weekday and um, sit back, and they would have all the scripts and all the research for us, and everybody had their own package with their name on it. And they kind of had, you know, certain people doing certain things because I was one of the leaders. Of, uh, you know, so it seemed, you know, of the Teen Summit Posse, um, you know, I was kind of one of the main ones they always put in the script to, to kind of lead off on a lot of things. You know, we had little vignettes and skits and stuff. I was always creatively coming up and producing it along with other producers, you know. And also I would you know, I would submit ideas and that kind of thing, and they would, you know, go for it, man. And, and so I was a part of the production of the show. I, I was no longer just a Teen Summit kid on the show, but they made me a part of the um, the production, which is how I ended up, um, you know, evolving onto Rap City because I was always around the network, you know, working behind the scenes when the other kids weren't. So I had a chance to meet other producers and directors and executives and, and work with different people and just created a name for myself, a following for myself, um, you know, on and off the camera. But it was always pre-produced, you know, weeks in advance. We knew the topic. We would have, you know, producers present the research. And we would always study our script and everything. But when the show was live, it was live. You know, we just, we spoke from our hearts, you know. We, you know, we laughed, we cried, we talked about topics that we experienced every day. Like I said, I was a teen father, and I was experiencing, you know, the selling drugs and, you know, alcoholism and drug abuse and addiction and death. So this is stuff we were talking about, and I think kids could just relate to us. All across the country, I would get letters from kids crying and just sharing their hearts with me and say, hey, I can relate to you. You know, I'm living like this in Chicago. I'm living like this in Detroit. I'm living like this in Los Angeles, you know, Compton or wherever. You know, all of Milwaukee, Chicago, Indianapolis. I was traveling to Louisiana. I was all over the United States speaking to kids, man, about my experience, you know, selling drugs and how I transitioned to BET. And and I still travel around the country and tell my story and speak, and I do development trainings and workshops. But this is this is how it all begins. So God allowed me to have a platform after coming from that experience to now be able to be a voice for the community and for young people. Uh, and we would speak at colleges and high schools and that kind of thing. So, yeah, Team Summit, man, was it changed my it changed the course of my life. Um, at that particular time of my life. Mm, and I believe Teen Summit debuted in 89, and there was a female host mm-hmm. who was the first host. I can't recall her name, but mm-hmm. she was her the name first is Lisa host. Johnson. Yes, yeah, yes, Lisa that's Johnson. who I'm speak, speaking <laughs> right. of, first host of Teen mm-hmm. Summit. And like you stated, yeah. it was a breath of fresh air because nobody was hearing the perspective of the young African-American teens at the time. And right. for you to be a posse member on that show, you could not probably oh, yeah, walk Tyson's Corner or Potomac Mill <laughs> or Ben's Chili Bowl <laughs> right. and, and be the stuff. That's right, man. That's right. I mean, you know all the places, but I'm telling you, I mean, you're, hitting it, you're hitting it right on the head, man. And, um, I mean, definitely, you know, we, we instantly became celebrities even in our own city. What was interesting is that I was already a celebrity on the street level because of the lifestyle that I lived prior to BET. And when I cleaned my life up and got on BET, it just went to a whole other level. I didn't need the drug money anymore. I was I was making drug boy money without being a drug boy, you know. And mm-hmm. so I was able to get, get my family out of the hood and live a better lifestyle. And so BET definitely revolutionized my life, man. And um, and, and it changed you know, everything, that, how we saw things, you know, in our life. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it was wonderful. It was a great experience. Yeah, and you... And you mentioned, you know, the DMV, and you know, we can't mention the DMV without Go Go. But here's my connection oh, no, no. with Chuck. Here's my connection with Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown was right. born in my hometown in North Carolina before he moved to DC. Is that right? Yes, sir. Wow. Now, what, what's the name of the town? What's the name? Uh, name of the town is called Gaston, North Carolina. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Well, well here's something that you didn't know, because I, I can tell that you're pretty good with your research, man. So my mother is uh, from uh, North Carolina. My mother's family is from uh, Henderson, North Carolina. 
Oh, yeah. Henderson is not that far from my neck of the woods at all. I would make that yeah. drive yeah. across Henderson and Vance <laughs> County, going to school in Greensboro. So, so I know that area okay. very yeah. well. And yeah. being from North Carolina, being four hours from D.C., we got a little bit yeah. of that go-go influence because a lot of kids from the DMV okay. would come to school in Virginia, the Carolinas, mm-hmm. and those go-go right. mixtapes would make their way down here. So we got to hear EU, okay. Rare Essence, Trouble Funk, mm-hmm. Chuck Brown. Why me up, Chuck? That's right. We had a junkyard band. We had all kind of different groups. But see, every city had their own, you know, signature sound. You know, if you went to Miami, you heard Pop That Coochie with Luke, you know, and the boys, they had that Miami bass sound. If you go to New Orleans, they had this music called Zodico. They had this music called Zodico. So then when you went down south, they started evolving into their own music, which at the time wasn't called trap music, but they just called it dirty south music or, you know, music from the south. And then later on, it kind of evolved to what we know as trap music. But, you know, in, in, in the West Coast, they had that whole, you know, gangster rap sound, the NWA and all that kind of thing. They, they would um, produce uh, and sample a lot of the old Parliament records and stuff. So every city had their signature music. D.C. has always been about go-go. Go-go music is strong percussions and drums. You know, it's different instruments, but you always hear the congos and the drums. Very Afrocentric, believe it or not. And so that was a part of our music growing up right here in the DMV. Chuck Brown was the legendary godfather of go-go, rest in peace. But um, he revolutionized, you know, go-go music, man, and um, took it to a whole other level, and it became national and international. Matter of fact, Chuck Brown had a record out that was a hit record called Bustin' Loose. This was back in the 70s, believe it or not. This is even before my time. And and um, when Nelly did that song, It's Getting Hot In Here. Remember that song by Nelly? Mm-hmm. That really was, that was a Chuck Brown sample of Bustin' Loose. That, that, that actual song, if you heard it, is almost the exact song. So... Go-Go Man has influenced a lot of music, but they never really got their props, you know. Right. Actually. But now Sp- Spike Lee put them on the map with doing the butt with EU. So mm-hmm. they that became a massive mm-hmm. crossover hit. And yeah. I just recently yeah. interviewed yeah. Cut mm-hmm. Creator, and he was telling me oh, yeah. how with Rock the Bells, it had that Go-Go swing to it. And how, yeah. <laughs> you know, I believe it was Trouble Funk. They were signed to uh, Def Jam. They put out Sardines. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was because of that influence, you had that go-go sound. And then, of course, Herbie Lovebug and his production with Salt and exactly. Pepper Salt and Kid and Play, That's incorporating right. that go-go exactly. swing to it. And then Clark exactly. Kent, mm-hmm. when he did the Spread My Wings remix for Truth, had the go-go sound exactly. to it. And I believe yep. exactly. go-go, like mm-hmm. you said, it's an experience. You got to go to a right. go-go club or go to a party where it's nothing but go-go. And I think yeah. that was the main reason why it ne- didn't really break nationally because you got to right. feel it. You can't reproduce it in a studio. That's right. There you go. And, you know what? And that's so funny that you mentioned it because that's true. I mean, whenever you go into the studio, it just didn't have the same feel to it. Go-Go was something that you had to experience live. That's something about those drums and the congos when you feel it in your soul. You know, even if you don't like Go-Go music, you find yourself just moving and just kind of bopping. And just it had a certain kind of vibe to it, something that we just know. You know, we grew up in our own city with that. And, of course, um, more recently, Snoop Dogg um, partnered with Rare Essence, and he has a new record out um, with Rare Essence, man, which is you know, one of our, you know, first go-go bands next to Trouble Funk and EU. Rare Essence, they're like old school. You know, they've been legendary, you know, doing legendary music for years. So Snoop Dogg took it to another level. Now he teamed up with BC and go-go music, man. And so, uh, yeah, it's just an exciting thing, man. We're proud of yeah. it. Yeah, because I can remember being a young kid when I would go to my local high school football games, and I remember them playing The Bud by the Huckabucks. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's funny. I remember we had we had the Junkyard Band, we had the Huckabucks, 
these sardines and pork and beans, those are one of the songs. It, the name sounds weird, but you just got to hear it. It's something that we can understand. And just, it's a language. And then, and then we had some kids, man, you know, when, when they didn't have real instruments, they would get those big paint buckets, you know, those five-gallon um, white paint buckets. And they would turn them upside down and get some sticks. And they started making beats. And believe it or not, they were doing go-go music even with, um, with you know, paint cans and stuff. It's, just a, it's an amazing talent. It's kind of, it reminds you of something that you'll see when you go to Africa or go to the Caribbean. And you're seeing them, you know, playing percussion instruments. It's a, it's a cultural experience. It's more than just music, you know. So, yeah, mm, almost cool. kind of reminds me of, you know, Fat Albert and the, Cos- and the Cosby Kids where they would take what they had, made instruments out exactly. of it. But the funny thing about Go-Go is you could be the hardest dude in a club. As soon as a Go-Go <laughs> record come on, you're singing along. Because I can remember being in college in Greensboro and a DJ would drop Rare Essence version of Pieces of Me by Ashley Simpson. And the least mm-hmm. likely person you would expect singing the hook was singing it, and when the DJ dropped, chorus hit, I'm That's looking right. like, because of Rare Essence, you know yeah. Ashley Simpson. So you mentioned Rap City, you mentioned <laughs> Joe Claire, Chris Thomas, Big yeah. Shout, the Big Lads, you know, Trigger oh, no and everything, yeah. and yeah. how the South at this time was still a regional scene where I think the furthest it would go before it went nationally was probably Southern Virginia, like you mentioned, BMV, pretty much anything past that wasn't playing the South. So what made you think that Outkast and everything else that came out of Atlanta would break through nationally? You know what? We had no idea. I mean, again, BET, we were the biggest game in town. Any artist that was national that wanted to get on to sell records and you know, reach a national artist, they had to come to BET. And especially if you wanted black support. Now, you can always go across the street to MTV, but that wasn't really black support. That was just that was just a machine, you know. And not to take anything away from them, but at least BET was all about the black culture at that time. You know, we were made by blacks. We were for blacks. It was produced by blacks. And we were supporting our own at the time, you know. And so, I mean, we had no idea, but, you know, music was evolving at the time. You know, New York rap, New York, Philly, and New Jersey, that was always the original hip-hop. Anyway, you know, that's you know, that's where it all began. And so now we start branching out to these other forms of rap music that we weren't familiar with. And so when they kept asking us to play their stuff in BET, um, and of course it wasn't really my decision. The executives would make that decision. But they kept saying, can you play our stuff on BET? They were like, ah, we don't think there's an audience for it. We don't know if, if people really want to hear this rap from down south. It was just totally different, you know. And, you know, it was nothing that was negative, just that D.C. and New York, all the, all the northern go, I mean, all the northern hip-hop music, had a certain kind of flair to it. It was national. But Southern music at the time was kind of localized. You know, it was just only down south. And then somebody mentioned to me, some guy, um, they said, you need to play this guy's music named Master P. And I'm like, who is Master P? I never never heard of nobody named Master P. But I used to travel to Louisiana a lot. When I went there, they would introduce me to this guy named Master P who was selling gold and platinum records down south. But we had never even heard of him up north. So it's interesting how down south, one thing I love about the south, They've always been innovative. They've always, you know, produced and pushed their own records. Because up north, we always had the record companies in New York City and L.A., you know, even on the West Coast. We had record labels to sign our artists, but down south, they were doing their own thing. They were producing and distributing their own music. They were going gold and platinum down the south without even being heard up north or west or the West Coast. So the southerners were already setting up their game, man. They were just coming to hit us hard, and now pretty much, the Southern music took over the music industry. You know, you see, 
from trap music to everything else is heavily influenced in some kind of way or another by one of the seven rappers. So it's amazing mm-hmm. how, you know, and, and everybody had to have their turn. You know, the East Coast had it for years. They laid the foundation. You know, the Midwest came and got just a little piece of it. The West Coast came and blew us up with Dr. Dre, N.W.A., Snoop Dogg, you know, DJ Quick. They all just blew up the spot, man. And then the Southerners came and crept up on us, and they did the whole outcast. Goody Mom opened the door, and a lot of other – and there are two different types of Southern music. A lot of people get this twisted. You know, you have the Miami type of sound that's Southern, but then you also have, like, the Georgia sound, Atlanta, you know, Mississippi, Alabama. So there are two different types of Southern music because Luke considers himself the king of the South, but then on the other side you have T.I. who considers himself the king of the South. So, you know, we got love for them all. I mean, it was all about just showing love to everybody. We didn't care where you were from. You know, we even had them down in Texas with the Ghetto Boy, you know, with, with Scarface. Down Texas, they were doing their thing down that, you know, that end of the map. And so, man, you know, we just gave love to everybody. BET was celebrated everywhere. We we were part of parades, man, and just we were part of the culture. It was more than just television, but we were part of the actual entertainment culture. So that was cool. Mm, and the funny thing that you mentioned about Southern rappers not getting airplay on BET, they went yeah. into a network called The Box. This was back in the day where you yeah, had to pay probably two ninety nine, three ninety nine to get your records played. And That's because right. of, um, I believe it was Ja Rule at the time, he wasn't solo yet. He was in this rap group. Mm-hmm. They had this record called Get the Fortune. And Irv mm-hmm. Gotti was saying how his crew would just call The Box repeatedly to get their record played, yeah. and because of the stance yeah. it was getting, that kind of led to major label buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the box was big. I remember that. Um, I think Ralph McDaniels was a guy's name, if I'm not mistaken. But um, but the box was kind of something that was localized, like in the, in the mm-hmm. New York area, at least. You know, like Philly, New Jersey, New York. Just like how we have the DMV, you have New York, Jersey, and Philly. And so the mm-hmm. box was big. I mean, if you got on the box, as well as some of their local radio stations, you know, they had a lot of, like, open mic type things, you know, where they would allow people to come in and, you know, do, like, ciphers and stuff. This back before we knew them as ciphers. But they were just getting to, you know, a freestyle on the microphone. So New York was already doing their thing. D.C. had the go-go thing locked down. New York had the box. And we had some localized shows as well. But then, again, BET is what really kind of helped us take it on a more national level. All these local rappers and singers and stuff now had a platform to become national and sell gold and platinum records, and it became big business. So, you know, therefore, Puff Daddy and Bad Boy was born, you know. And I remember when Puffy first got, um, first started his label, Bad Boy, I gave them one of their interviews where I interviewed all of his artists and brought them to D.C. So we had Craig Mack, we had Notorious B.I.G., we had Faith, we had 112, we had Total, and we had the whole Bad Boy family. It was brand new. So Craig Mack was the first artist with Flavor in Your Ear on Bad Boy. So, again, you know, the, the part we talking about Team Summit and Rap City What's beautiful about that experience is that we were one of the first ones to give to give birth to a lot of people's careers, you know, in, in the entertainment industry, rappers and singers, even in gospel music. Um, you know, we were one of the first shows on BET to um to bring together secular and gospel music together, performing on one show. Normally, if you wanted R&B music, you could, they were on Video Soul or Video LP, you know, and if you wanted rap, they were always on Rap City. And so, King Summit, what we did was we were more of a talk show. But we wanted the entertainment element, so we would always open and close the show with different live performances. So we brought on Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond, Yolanda Adams, and, um, you know, different gospel artists. And, you know, and on the same show, you'll see Snoop Dogg perform at the end of the show, you know. You know, you'll see NWA performance. We brought people together where they, it was a safe place to bring music together, just to love music 
and not to separate us because of the genres, but we brought them all together because it was one language, one love, you know. Right. We were kicking we're, the truth to, to the young black youth, man. Yeah, we're giving you a choice. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. That, that, and, was, the first, that was the first logo. <laughs> yeah, I remember choice. that with the star in the middle of the B. And yep. the one thing that should not be yep. not mentioned about BET is the exposure that he gave to HBCUs with Aaron HBCU oh, football oh, and the yeah, marching yeah. bands. And I think yes. given, you know, the climate where we are at now, you know, we're seeing HBCUs mm-hmm. experiencing the renaissance with mm-hmm. a lot of top young recruits saying, hey, I'm going to skip going yes. to Alabama or LSU. I want to go to Howard. I want to go to Morgan State. I want to go to North Carolina. Exactly. West Salem State mm-hmm. or Prairie View A&M. So tell me about BC's impact and exposing HBCU culture to the masses. Right. Oh, man, well, that's, I mean, you said it already. I mean, BET, we had, um, besides the music and entertainment aspect of BET, and we had, of course, BET News, which was the premier black voice of our community, we had BET Sports. You know, uh, my man George Johnson used to be the voice from BET Sports, and um, you know, and Charlie Neal and all these guys. They would come and and you know and and do live broadcasts of all the different HBCU, the games, the, the football games, the basketball games. You know, and and all especially throughout the South, a lot of people don't know this, but BET was always big across the whole country and internationally, in London and Africa and all of that. But BET really made a major mark down south. That's where they used to always send us. So as a host of BET. I was traveling down south more than I was up north. I mean, we were involved with all kind of football games and, you know, Circle City Classics, and we were, you know, in different parades down in Louisiana and Chicago and Milwaukee. And so we were always in the Midwest and down south. But we built the whole network, man, on the strength of, of the Southerners, believe it or not. Um, they had open arms. They welcomed us. BET was bigger down south than I think it was up north at the time um, because of just the whole Southern vibe, the Southern hospitality. You know, HBCUs, we built our whole network around the colleges. And, of course, here in D.C., Howard University was our premier school that we did everything with. So, you know, you know, from different rappers to different shows, we would always film at Howard University. We would always, um, you know, bring, you know, use it as a backdrop or the scenery for different shows on BET. And we just had a, a working relationship with Howard University. Um, a lot of our staff came from Howard University um, and also Hampton University. And so, and as well as many other universities, but those were the two HUs that we have a lot of staff from at the time. So we, we, we connected them with concerts. We did concerts at various HBCUs. We did anything that we could do to expose BET on the campus. We were all over it, man. We just, we just ate it up and we just blew it up, blew it up the spot, you know, with our street teams and we had posters and vans and we would bring different celebrities to different colleges and interview and do different homecoming shows and things like that. So, and speaking right. of HU, I got to give them a shout out. My, my youngest son graduated from Howard University two years ago, so so just shouting out HU right now. Okay, yeah, I'm real good mm-hmm. friends with Mark Gay from Shy, and he was telling me how BT okay. would stay posted on Howard's campus. And sorry, mm-hmm. all my A and T alums, especially the family that I know that went to A A and T, ain't no homecoming yeah. like an HU homecoming. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just hey, you mentioned the group Shy, right? The army yeah. group Shy that he yeah. just mentioned. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, see, when I was doing radio, uh, at the time, I was doing radio simultaneously with BET, and that's the station that you mentioned a few minutes ago. That was um, WPGC 95.5, where Donnie did the morning show and I did the night show, the slow jam show. And so we had a local show where we highlighted local talent to give them an opportunity to get rotation on the radio station. And when we did it, 
Um, a group that went platinum and became really, really big was a group called Shy. And they're yeah, right from Howard University. And they had If I Ever Fall in Love, they had a couple singles, man. And Shy, you know, um, they, they blew up, man. And so they won the competition that we have on the radio station. Um, shout out to pa- Paco Lopez and uh, B and different guys at the radio station. But we all were part of, um, D- it's called D.C. Home Jazz, where we kind of highlighted different groups to come out of D.C. and blow up. And Rand- Johnny Gill's brother, um, Randy Gill, he had a group, um, uh, you know, came out of D.C. from the Home Jams as well. And you had um, Diggable Planets from Howard University. I'm cool like that. I'm cool like that. You remember that record? I'm cool like yeah, that. Yeah, Rebecca so Flake. We, we had a lot, exactly right. We, we had a, a lot of groups that evolved between the radio station and BET because we sort of had a relationship going, but we all worked together from a marketing and promotional perspective. Right. And you mentioned Randy Gill, the group To The Extreme, and then you also had – To The Extreme. Yeah, yeah you meant, and then we had the group Me To You, and I didn't notice until recently mm-hmm. that Stacey Lattisall's brother was in that group. They were signed to RCA Records. Oh, yeah, Jerry. Yeah, it's Jerry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, but we had a lot of groups. Raheem Devon is from D.C., Genuine is from D.C., Marvin Gaye was from D.C. You know, we have a lot of artists, but most people, unfortunately, you know, had left the DMV, and they, they kind of created a life for themselves in other cities. So they claimed those new cities, but they didn't necessarily claim D.C., but for me, man, it's homegrown. I mean, I'm a D.C. homegrown guy, so I always mm-hmm. want to give a love to my city. You know, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Chocolate City, man. That's where it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what was your thoughts across the water in Baltimore when you starting to hear that, hey, there's this four-man group that's coming out. They have a song on the Eddie soundtrack called Tell Me. And what was it like seeing <laughs> Drew Hill's rise? That's funny. Well, you know, it's funny, man, and I'm telling you, you're doing some great research. It's really, just talking to you, you're just kind of walking me through my timeline of my career and my life. You know, because not only was I a host on BET and the radio, and not only was I a part of the foundation of a lot of these careers, you know, I was a young man growing up myself, you know, you know, as a listener, you know, as an observer myself. So um, my story with, um, with, with Drew Hill, they came from a project called Druid Hill out of Baltimore, and um, they all were working their local jobs down on the water. They have a Baltimore waterfront, the harbor. And so um, the guy who used, who discovered them, or he was one of the first labels that they were on, it was a record company called University Records, and his name was Hot Islam. And he owned, not only did he have Drew Hill, he had Drew Hill, and he also had Maya, you know, the singer Maya. Um, Maya was one of my teen summer dancers. Her father was a friend of mine. And so we had several groups that come out of um, – um, you know, um, you know, Drew Hill, Maya, and then we had another R&B group came out called Pure Soul, had a song called We Must Be In Love, that was a big hit at the time. So Hawk Islam came to me and said, hey, man, I got this, this male group, and we got this song, we're trying to blow it up, we need some more radio airplay. And he gave it to me, and I used to play it on the radio all the time, and that's when they came out with that, tell me what you want, remember that record? You know, tell mm-hmm. me what you want when Drew Hill just, just blew up, man, and so we played it on radio along with some other radio stations, but Hawk and I had this personal connection where I would always do some things for him and, you know, put some of his artists on the radio. And Drew Hill was one of the groups, man, Pure Soul and, and Maya. But we just put that stuff on the radio and just blew it up from WPGC 95.5. So so when I look at Cisco and the whole Drew Hill crew, I remember they were just a group of young guys, man, who just had a dream like every other young group. And they came on the scene and they just blew up with a hit single, you know. So, you know, right. history again. Right, and the funny thing you mentioned about Tell Me, it was about maybe a year or so ago, Stanley Brown, it was on IG. He had posted a video playing uh, the demo references for Tell Me, 
and it was right. done by Aaron Hall. And then also there is mm-hmm. a version, I think, floating out there on a deck. Remember those? Yeah. With uh, Dave Hall. Okay. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of these songs are floating around in the industry, just like when you hear the song, um, Because I'm Happy with Pharrell. That song originally was recorded for CeeLo Green. You know, and I think they turned the song down. When you hear the song by Johnny Gill, who's also from D.C., Southeast D.C., you hear Johnny Gill singing My, My, Mine. Well, that song was originally written for The Whispers. You know what I'm saying? So when you hear a lot of music, man, it's kind of floating and rotating through different hands before, you know, a particular artist grabs a hold of it and make it a hit. So, yeah, right. it's, it's, the industry is just, you know, it's, it's amazing. Right, and I can remember reading yeah. Timberland's um, memoir, and he was saying how when he mm-hmm. was out doing his thing with Devontae, him, Missy, Recipe, Static yeah. Major, Player, and all of that whole nine, that Genuine had an album all ready to go, and I believe they were going to give it to a lecturer, but I think something happened where it fell through, and then Genuine yeah, ended up leaving, and then that became the makers of the Bachelor album and uh, Pony, because I don't know if it's true or not, mm-hmm. but I think Pony was originally intended for Static Major, I want to say, or Player, somewhere, somebody within yeah. that camp, I believe, before Genuine mm-hmm. got a hold. Yeah, of I'm, I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly sure, but it's a Genuine that had been very, very tight during that time. So you know, I was doing the TV radio thing, and he started working with, and he used to always, I used to always take him with me to different concerts that I was hosting. BET and stuff. So, you know, he was just feeling that entertainment bug, man. He always has been like a local, you know, performer in D.C. anyway. So, I think one of the shows, you know, we were hosting something. He ended up making a connection with um, Timberland and Missy. No, I'm sorry. He made a connection with Jodeci. And see, Genuine initially was signed to Jodeci. And he was kind of, you know, put on the shelf for a couple years. And out of that, that's how he ended up connecting with Timberland and them because they also, I believe, were shelved by Jodeci. So Timberland, Missy, they had all these groups kind of just waiting in the balance. But somehow a lot of business didn't happen the way that it should have happened. And, you know, I don't know all the details about that. But, you know, um, some things happened where they just couldn't really produce any albums for some years, different issues with record companies and so forth. But when they finally blew up, that's when that whole camp just blew up. You know, Timberland, mm-hmm. Missy, Magoo, Genuine, Aaliyah, you know, Tank, and even Tank was a part of that whole crew initially too, um, you know, indirectly. So it just, you know, it just kind of took off and, Genuine continued doing his thing, and that's the whole pony thing just blew up on the scene. It was a different concept. He was a different-looking artist, had a different style, and he brought something different to the table at that time. Yeah, yeah because so, it's yeah. crazy to think how Devontae was able to spot talent. You know, Missy, Timberland, everybody was in that camp because, you know, Sister came yeah. out, released an album, and then yeah, Missy and Timberland exactly. got their first production exactly. credit on the Diary of a Man Band album, mm-hmm. which led to them working yep. with Aaliyah on the One in a Million album and everything else to come after exactly. that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a lot of people and, don't know that Missy, when Missy came out with the group, Missy was the girl in the background. Nobody really paid attention to her. They paid attention to all the other girls, you know. Um, no disrespect, but you know how the whole light skin, dark skin thing is. And, you know, all the girls in the group were light skin, long hair, and had the, you know, the stereotypical look, you know, for entertainment. Missy was this brown skin girl, a little heavy set. They kind of threw her in the background, but little did they know <laughs> that Missy was a superstar <laughs> from the whole group. Right. She was the producer right. of the <laughs> you know, so. Right. Yeah. Right. And I believe she was content to want to stay in the background before Steelers yeah, popped because yeah. she just wanted to be behind the scenes, write yeah. and produce. But I believe it was Michael exactly. Bivens or somebody was like, nah, 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 you got star power. You need to be out in the front. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, man. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they brought her to the forefront and, and Timberland, you know, of course, nurtured that talent as well, working with her and partnering with her. 
and then the whole thing just blew up, man. You know, mm-hmm. it blew up. So yeah. I'm proud of all of them. And again, that's D, that's DMV talent, man. DC, Maryland, Virginia, all the way to Virginia Beach. You know, and all of that stuff. That's DMV. You know. So. Yeah, yeah. And we and we got to talk about the Neptunes, even though I'm from North Carolina. We were claiming the Tidewater <laughs> area like it was our own Newport News, <laughs> Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Yeah. That whole right. Tidewater area. So it was just a great time for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. scene. And then you know, once Atlanta started to explode, that was where everybody was like, hmm, there's something in the water down south. Because I could yeah. remember, you know, being a teen in high school and hearing I'm serious and just yeah. thinking like, man, this guy got it. It was a regional hit, yeah. but the breakout mm-hmm. came a year later when he put out, uh, I believe it was the Urban Legend album where everybody got to yeah. see yeah. T.I. nationally. And same thing goes with Ludacris, because yeah. I remember Ludacris when he was DJ Chris Love Love on Live exactly. from L.A. when uh, they exactly. used to have yeah. guest radio hosts come in and do like mm-hmm. a week or so. I remember him being on there and I was like, wasn't that the same yeah. guy that was the DJ and come to find <laughs> exactly. out him, yeah. Ryan Cameron and Lala all cut yeah, their feet together in yeah. Atlanta radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which I worked with so- Ryan Cameron, man, many, many years ago. Yeah, all, all, it's a small community. We all have worked with each other in some kind of way or another. I mean, if you just go down the list of all these names of the top R&B and, and the hip-hop artists, you know, you know, in some kind of way, you know, by way of radio or BET, we kind of helped push them in some kind of way or expose what they were doing. Um, Ryan Cameron, we you know we hosted many shows together, you know, different cities, different concert tours. Um, Jermaine Dupree, we gave him one of his first interviews on BET when he was about 15 years old. He was one of the youngest um, producers at the time, you know, who was, and that's when he had Crisscross on. You know, you know, my daddy make you jump. So Jermaine Dupree was one of the youngest, um, you know, biggest and youngest. Um, you know, producers that were out here because his father worked for a record company, I think Columbia Records at the time. Mm-hmm. And, Michael um, Malden, who put together the Fresh Michael Malden, yeah. Exactly. Michael Malden also um, established the career of, um, uh, what's my guy's name? Um, um, uh, what is his name? Anthony Hamilton. You know, he helped establish his career as well, you know, and, and, and then Jermaine took over that whole piece. So it's a small community of all of us, man. Stacey Lattisaw, Johnny Gill out of D.C., Kenny Lattimore. I told you we grew up in church. We made several albums together in the gospel community. So a lot of us, man, just one family in this city, you know, between D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And, and Maryland and Virginia is humongous. You know, it's not just about the DMV and this part, but we, we stretch all the way down there by North Carolina, you know, as you know, you know, that part of Virginia. So, you know, we, we extend our, our arms, man, to a lot of different people in this area. We just, um, you know, we, we, you know we, we've just burst in with a lot of talent, and we still have a lot of right. talent here as well. Like right. TV, radio, the- everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing you mentioned about Virginia, you know, when Trey Songs broke, I'm about 30, 45 minutes from Petersburg. And to see him explode yeah. and Chris Brown explode, exactly. you know, with Tappahannock being oh, yeah. so close to Richmond, you're like, man, these guys are not too far from me. And to see them go on to be <laughs> wow. superstars, it was just, yeah. you know, awe-inspiring, you know. Well, you know what, you, man, like everything you say, you just touch a nerve with me. I'm telling you because, see, my, my kids um, are from Tappahannock, Virginia. Um, so the story is, and this is a quick story, and I tell everybody else, and I bite my lip every time I say it, Chris Brown grew up with my oldest daughter, and she used to come home every day, Daddy, my friend Christopher Brown, Mommy said, can you help, um, you know, help him? He sings and dance. And I used to tell my daughter, I'm too busy right now, sweetheart. I don't have time to be managing kids and stuff. You know, I'm kind of busy. You know, I was on BET at the time. She would come home, Daddy, my friend Christopher Brown, Mommy said, can you help her son? He sings and raps. 
But, you know, every parent feels like their kids can sing and rap. So when my daughter kept pressing me with this, I kept saying, sweetheart, please, you drive me crazy. Just, you know, tell Christopher Brown, mommy, you know, maybe she can, you know, do something local or whatever. You know, I know I'll just have her give me a call. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll refer to somebody who worked with kids. And so one day my daughter, as an adult, said, Daddy, do you remember I used to always tell you about this little boy named Christopher Brown in my school? I said, yeah, I used to always say his name. She said, that's the R&B singer, Chris Brown. I'm like, what? I'm like, I should have signed that kid years ago. So, so you I'm had your chance to get, get on the list before <laughs> Run It Blue. But oh, once again, you, you never know, you know, who has it. Yeah. And then another person that's that right. close from my neck of the woods, from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, when I saw Terrence J go on to do his thing on 106 and expand his yeah, brand exactly. and to know that exactly. a former coworker of mine, you know, got him into the game to see like, man, he's right. from 45 minutes from my hometown and to see where, okay. where he expanded. And then also to BT was, I believe my first exposure to reggae music. Thanks to Rachel and Caribbean rhythm. Oh, yeah. oh no doubt. <laughs> Caribbean rhythm. Yeah. We, we love Rachel, man. And so, we extended ourselves not only into Europe, but, you know, also into the Caribbean. So we did a lot of work with, um, you know, Jamaica, you know, um, St. Lucia. You know, we were in um, Barbados, Bahamas. We were all over the Caribbean, man, and extending. Because, you know, HBCU, especially with Howard University, reggae music was really, really big. All the music, dance halls, the different nightclubs we had. You know, hip-hop and, and reggae kind of merged together during the 90s and the 80s where, you know, in the clubs you always had the Shabba Rinks and different reggae artists and, you know, Jean Paul and different guys coming together. Matter of fact, you mentioned D.C., and we can't mention D.C. Go-Go without mentioning D.J. Cool, who's also from D.C. Oh, Let me clean my throat, you know. I got that feeling, 20-minute <laughs> workout. <laughs> exactly right. There you go. And uh, I was in his music video, Reggae Dance, and everybody doing the reggae dance, and I was in that, that music video. But D.J. Cool was the first artist that I interviewed when I became the host of Rap City, which is kind of cool because we grew up together in D.C. anyway. So he's also a DJ legend in D.C. Let me clear my throat. You know, I've got that feeling. You know, all of that, man. So we had a lot of talent coming from mm. the DMV. Yeah, the, the water dance. I mean, we can go oh, yeah. all day of DJ all cool. the D.C. <laughs> DMV classes, yeah. um, be more club music, which is underrated. Oh, yeah. And Miss Tony, put oh, your yeah. guns out. I heard it from the corner. <laughs> Shout out to HBO in the corner. <laughs> That's right. Wow. You know, that was, that, every, was, yeah, that, was, that was Big T. I mean, that was Baltimore, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man, because when everybody thinks of Baltimore, they think of the wire. They think of the corner. Yeah. They think of, you know, the, the corner, craft cakes, yeah. the harbor. Yeah, yeah, and when you think of D.C., yeah. you think about Go-Go. You think about Mambo mm -hmm. sauce, which if you have not had exactly. Mambo sauce, do not try to make it. <laughs> Order you some Capital oh City Mumbo God. sauce. Please don't. Yeah, man. Capital City I mean, Mumbo sauce. Hey, look, you hit it right on the nose to see. I mean, I, I'm familiar with Mumbo sauce even before Capital City got to it. See, when I was growing up, they had Mumbo sauce, but believe it or not, they used to have it you know, at the Chinese restaurants. And they were the first ones that kind of evolved this thing called Mumbo sauce, but then it kind of evolved to something else. Now, more recently, it's the Capital, you know, Mumbo sauce. But Man, they, we used to be in the hood going to get uh, you know some chicken wings and French fries while we were standing out on the corner <laughs> trying to mm -hmm. eat. And we, you know we didn't want them. To, if you wanted chicken wings, you had to get it with mumbo sauce, DC mumbo sauce. So now a lot of people are duplicating it, but it doesn't look right. It's too it's too fluorescent and red. 
Real mumbo sauce looks like barbecue sauce. The real deal, mm-hmm. anyway. It, 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 if you see the bars on the windows, you're in the yeah. right spot. And if you want to be you're cute right while you, if you, if you want to be That's cute right. while you're eating it, you want to have it That's on the right, side. Right. But if you want to be messy with it, pour it all over everything. I'm telling you, pour it on hey, the fried rice. Hey, it will change your life. Brother. I want my. I want mine on the side. I got either got a French fries. You got your fried rice, you know. So, yeah, because yeah. um, two years ago, my wife yeah. and I we were visiting my family back back home in North Carolina. We made our way up to D.C. to go to the African American Smithsonian Museum, and oh, yeah. I told awesome. her I was like, "Hey, we gotta go to Ben's Chili Bowl." So we hit up oh, Ben's, yeah, and I got a half smoke, and I've been craving one ever oh, since. Oh yeah. <laughs> my father. It's funny you mentioned that. My father used to take me to. Um, we had something called the Lincoln Theater, like a Lincoln movie theater. And back then they were showing all the Bruce Lee movies, you know, the karate movies. And my father would always take me to go see Bruce Lee movies, and we went right next door to Ben's Chili Bowl, and we got the half smokes and the hot dogs and the chili cheeseburgers, and, and then we'd go to the movies, man. So that's my memory of Ben's Chili Bowl right there on U Street, which is Howard University's um, area right there. That's all Howard University area right there. So, right. And, and yeah. since the movie theaters are shut down due to COVID, you can't sneak the half mm-hmm. smokes, the fries, and the mambo sauce <laughs> in the big purse yeah. and be chowing down on exactly. five-piece wings and fries <laughs> and your half smoke while you're catching your double feature. That's right. So after Rap right. City, right. how did your life take a turn once you left Rap City and stepped away? Wow. So, man, also from, from Teen Summer, we talked about that. Um, so, the succession was simply me being a posse member on Teen Summit. After, you know, evolving with that show, um, I became the, the hip-hop news guy for Rap City. I just did the, the, the hip-hop news feature. Chris Thomas was the host at the time. And then I, I evolved from being the hip-hop news guy to becoming the co-host of Rap City. And then eventually I became the host of Rap City with Chris Thomas. And then I took it on myself as the host. And that's when I brought Big Les in. And so, um, you know, Rap City was a whole other level of my life because people watched me mature and grow up right on television. Just like how you watch Gary Coleman and Todd Bridges and all these different child stars grow up on television while I was still trying to figure things out in my life. While I was still trying to figure out who I was and whose I was. I was still trying to figure out different things. You know, I was a young dad, a young father. You know, I got married at the age of 19. Man, I was trying to maintain a family and you know, hold up, hold down a home while being a celebrity. It just didn't all go well together for me. I was trying to figure out too many things simultaneously. And so I, um, Rap City was an amazing time because that's when, again, with the hip-hop, you know, we evolved and worked with a lot of different rappers and, you know, we established a lot of careers and record companies for people and, you know, supported them along with others um, to establish their brand. But Rap City was a great time, but at the time, that's just when things started speeding up for me. You know how it is, like any entertainment story that you hear. That comes that season when you first get in the car, and then you put your seatbelt on, you start driving, and you drive faster and faster and faster. Well, at this time, you know, we, you know, you know, the name Prince Days, you was just, you know, a household name around the country. I became this celebrity on BET. You know, matter of fact, it wasn't just so, so much about me being a celebrity, but all of us, all the hosts of BET, Donnie Simpson, myself, Rachel, um, different hosts that you think about with all the different shows that we had, BET was a celebrity in itself. BET was a machine. You know, it was the first, you know, African-American cable network in the world. We made history, the first owned, you know, black owned. And so while BET was becoming a celebrity, we were becoming celebrities along with BET because we were the first ones to do it ever in history. And so um, 
it was amazing, man. You know, you know, I mean, the good and the bad times. You know, we had some wonderful experiences, some wonderful times. I was able to um, to get paid and travel all over the world and, and live the best life that you can imagine, especially being a kid from the hood. You know, this was a dream come true, BET right in my neighborhood, you know, down the street. And so, but at the same time, with that came a lot of um, different, you know, um, challenges, valley experiences, as I called them. Well, you know, you know, you're partying, you're drinking, you're hanging out. You know, you're all over the country flying in and out of hotels, in and out of airports. It's the typical celebrity story that you hear about from most of us, man. If you don't really know who you are and if you're not grounded in, you know, some kind of spirituality or some family members that genuinely love you, you're going to evolve and hang around these friends who just kind of suck the life out of you because you're famous, because you got money, because of all the benefits, you know. And so, you know, I went through that phase as well trying to, you know, you know, you know, you know, make my friends happy. Let them know that I was still cool. I didn't forget where I come from. And you've heard all the stories, man. You know, from different celebrities. You know, not that you want to see it as you're buying their friendship, but you do want to prove to them that you haven't forgotten where you come from. And so I went through that phase, and just you know, um, at that point, I just started feeling something different happening in my life. I just felt that something was missing. You know, BET. I was at the top of my game, making great money. You know, I was a household name, but there was just something missing for me. And I, and I think it had a lot to do with just my own spirituality. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a personal relationship with God. Uh, again, I, when, I, when I use that phrase, personal relationship with God, I'm not just talking about a church experience because I, I had that growing up. But I'm talking about where it becomes personal, you know, between, you know, you and God. Well, Whitney Houston, she had a relationship with her and God in that bathroom before she died. If she never had one before. You know, Prince and Michael Jackson, they had a one-on-one with God, you know what I mean, before they left this earth. Well, I was blessed and fortunate enough to not have to leave this earth. I was able to be here and continue on with my purpose, but I certainly had an encounter where I, I, I had a visitation and I felt that God was calling me to do something greater and bigger. And so I continue to do TV and radio for years. You know, I'm still in the radio, um, you know, but, you know, the thing is I've become more of a voice. I went from being, you know, a personality on TV and radio to just being a voice for the people, period. I, I do a lot of um you know, development training. I talk about the entertainment industry, TV, radio. I talk about spirituality, relationships. I just talk about the entire human experience because, unfortunately, a lot of these young guys in the NFL and the NBA and in the entertainment industry don't really have any kind of mentors of anybody who can speak into their life, somebody who knows what it's like to have a lot of money, somebody who knows what it's like to have all these women coming at you, somebody who knows what it's like to um to live through your persona versus living through your purpose. And so that's pretty much, that's the you know, spiel that I'm giving now, where uh, my life has evolved, where I'm still in the entertainment industry, but I've become a voice to mentor other up-and-coming artists and people interested in the industry in some kind of way, whether it's acting, music, dance, whatever it is, to talk to them not only about developing your talent, but develop your life, develop yourself. And that's why you see so many celebrities end up in trouble. You know, Chris Brown would get in trouble. Different, you know, Alan Iverson. Different people you see getting in trouble because they had the fame and money, but nobody never told them who they were. Nobody never spoke into their life and told them what to do with their fame, what to do with their power. And so that's pretty much where I am right now. I'm just helping develop other artists um, while I'm also developing, you know, I'm, I'm writing several books. And so I'm developing these books to tell my BET story, hopefully to be a movie one day. And I have some other dynamic stories to tell as well about relationships, life and love, parenting and all of that. Yeah. It's yeah, it's more like be in the world but not of the world, and it's hard to do that. Yeah, like you stated, when you don't have a grounding of yourself because right. you're being offered any and everything under the sun, and if you're not truly rooted exactly. in who you are yep. and 
what your purpose is, then you're going to constantly keep asking yourself, who am I? And you can let someone else define who you are for exactly. you. Well, you know, it's like, like driving a fast car, you know. I mean, if you don't slow down, eventually you'll crash. So, you know, for me, I thank God I never had to crash like most celebrity stories you hear. You always hear the stories of them saying, hey, I was a drug addict. You know, I was an alcoholic. Those are never my stories. However, though, I, I definitely went through some very dark uh, moments in my life, you know, um, you know, during BET and even after BET where I was forced to have to look at the reality of a lot of things around me, you know, you know, as far as relationships, people, friendships, you know, just a lot of different things. You had to deal with the reality of that. And, um, you know, it certainly introduced me to my, <clears throat> excuse me, it certainly introduced me to my true self. Um, I thank God for all of those experiences because, you know, God had his hand on me ever since, you know, I was selling drugs. Remember how I got to BET. So all of this was a part of my journey, even leaving BET, um, you know, when my time was up. Because, you know, all these good things come to an end. You don't stay on them forever. No no TV sitcom or reality show stays on them forever. Everything is about seasons. And so in life, it's all about seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall. Everybody has a different season in their life to do certain things. And you have to maximize and take advantage of that while you're in your season. Because um, at some point, you'll have to move on to another season of your life. And so... You know, you don't want to leave and go to the next season before you finish your assignment with the previous season. And so I thank God that I had an opportunity to um to, to move in, in and out of my seasons with swiftness. You know, um you know again I went through some dark moments, but now the light I had good people around me who kept me alive and who spoke into my life. You know, who told me that they loved me. You know, who loved me whether I was on TV or not. Who loved me whether I was on radio or not. Even though I continue still doing radio when I love television, I still continue to do a lot of you know, hosting events and shows all around the country. And, still, you know, I kept busy in the industry. But at the same time, you know, when those seasons begin to shift, that's when you'll notice the friendships begin to shift. You know, you begin to see who was really down with you for real. You know, I'm talking about males and females because a lot of people always talk about females, um, you know, looking for guys in the industry or they only want to be with you because you're famous or you're rich or whatever. But, I mean, you have guys do the same thing. You know, they hang with you because they know that the ladies hang with you, you know. They hang with you because they know they can get free free drinks in the nightclub, but they hang with you. So I had to evaluate and cut back all of those sandbags that were weighing me down, you know, male and female, and, and, and change my circle of friends. And I had to change and, and deal with people that I know who genuinely love me for me as a human being. And so right. I had to go back to that whole healing process of, of rec- first of all, recognizing who I was outside, outside of um, the celebrity image, outside of the celebrity, you know, realm. And, and, you know, who I was as a man, as a young boy. And once I went back and, and I had all that healing take place, you know, the boy inside of me, you know, the man inside of me, um, BET was sort of like um, a, a major pause button for me. You know, how you, you live your life, you press play, but then you press pause. It was a pause because while I was living a celebrity life, the real me was on pause. So while I was moving forward with my career with fame and, and money and all that, the, the man inside of me wasn't growing. And so he was deficient. He was hungry. And so I had to go back and, and unpause my life and get back to the business of living every day and, and figuring out what exactly God wanted me to do with my life. I knew it was television and radio inspired in some kind of way, but I also knew it was bigger than that. I had a voice, a message to speak to people, um, motivational, you know, that kind of thing, inspiration, way before they started calling motivational speaking. I was, I was doing a motivational thing back in the 80s, you know, all around the country. I still do. But now you have reality shows and you have people who are, who are listening 
and who, you know, who um, are open to hear information. You know, back in those days, all they wanted to hear was just music, you know. But now people, you know, they want to hear someone with a message. You know? Right. So I certainly have a message, man, and it's a blessing to be able to share it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And while we're on the subject of gospel and religion, we just lost Rance Allen. And uh, tell me about the impact of Bobby Jones gospel, because if you're like me, if you stay with Big Mama or Grandma or Nana, whatever you would call your grandmother, Bobby Jones gospel was getting played before she hit to Sunday service. Oh, no doubt. Bobby Jones was a great inspiration to me um, because Bobby Jones gospel was one of the first shows that BET used to air in terms of original programming. Um, You know, back then when networks first start off, if you notice, they always play reruns of old shows, and that's how they build their revenue, you know, to go back and show old reruns of Good Times or Jefferson's or whatever, you know. But Bobby Jones was one of the first original shows, and then I think Video Soul was one of, like, the second. So Bobby Jones had been around for years, man, um, you know, on BET. And, and, of course, we all listened to gospel, even though we did the hip-hop and R&B thing on, you know, on our shows on Rap City and Teen Summit and Video Soul. We all, on Sunday mornings, everybody, even if you didn't go to church, you know, you definitely watched some of your favorite gospel artists on Bobby Jones' gospel. I was a, had an opportunity to work with him several occasions um, and to work with him with his, you know, his live audience and to host some events with him. Matter of fact, the last couple shows he did before his show went off the air, I was a part of that process in D.C., the filming and taping Yolanda Adams and, you know, um, you know, Kirk Carr. There's so many different, you know, famous gospel artists, Kirk Franklin and just, you know, so many artists here we work with. But it definitely impacted our life, man. And when they took Bobby Jones' gospel off PET, I think those of us who grew up in the network and watched the network, that's when we realized, oh, my God, it's over now. You know, like, you know, it's dead. You know, that we took the soul away from being, you know. I mean, even though we had all this stuff going on around us, but gospel still always have been the foundation of the African-American experience, you know, in some kind of way. And so when they removed Bobby Jones' gospel, man, it seemed like they just pulled the plug. And we realized that BET became very corporate at that point. You know, they sold the network. It was no longer the BET that we once knew. It was no longer just about, you know, African Americans or primarily about us. It was really about the corporate dollar, Wall Street. It was about stocks and bonds. It was about, you know, ratings. or It was about, you know, anything else other than us. And you could feel it. So that's when you notice. You know, as I did, the programming of BET began to change. It wasn't what it used to be. It became something else, and a lot of people became disinterested and, and moved elsewhere to find their programming, you know, um, to get that same feel that they had back in the 90s when we watched BET. So Bobby Jones right. was definitely a, a gospel icon, man, for us to test our lives. Right, a pillar. And if you know the dialogue to the Rust Out of the Mountain commercial, then you truly oh, yeah. are an old school BET head. Now, <laughs> some of my favorite shows on BET, along with ones that we mentioned, you know, Comic View, uh, Video LP, mm-hmm. shout oh, out yeah. to Sherry Carter, um, exactly, yep. Screen Scene, Angela Stribling. Angela Stribling, um, yep. Angela Stribling, shout out. Yep. Shout out to Madeline mm-hmm. Woods. You know, big fan yeah, of down. Madeline yeah. Woods. And also, yeah. um, I grew up in the early 90s, early 2000s. Now, Hit from the Street, that was my oh, show. Yeah. Musa Moo, <laughs> I still kind of crank that out every now and again. And when I saw Glory yeah. Road, and when I saw How High, and when I saw him on there, I was like, yo, that's yeah. Hit from the Street. And then when 106 and Park yeah. came on, that was just a whole nother game because 106. A whole nother thing, yeah. It was, it was. <laughs> after-school appointment television. I mean, I had my remote flipping between 
TRL and 106 in Park watching exactly, both. Yeah. And then when I saw Ananda mm-hmm. go over to MTV, I was like, yo, yep. that's from T yeah. So what was your thoughts when seeing Ananda go from BET over to MTV? Well, you know, it was pretty cool. I mean, um, we both had opportunities to um, to cross over to MTV back then. Um, as a matter of fact, I had been on BET several years before Ananda even came on BET. And so, you know, I'd already had my ties to MTV at that time. But at the time, I think we were so busy riding the high of just being down with the first black cable network, you know, ever, that I think we just kind of, we just wanted to suck it all up, you know, suck that whole thing up, man, and just really, you know, bask in that glory of it. And then at the same time, you know, MTV was kind of like the rivals to, to BET. Um, it's almost like, you know, basketball teams. You have your favorite football basketball team. Um, they were in competition with BET. Yo, MTV Raps was in competition with Rap City, you know, and a lot of the programming. And so and a lot of the producers and the behind-the-scenes staff were people who worked for both networks back and forth. So it was definitely a rival kind of thing going on. So at the time, I just felt comfortable with, you know, staying loyal and committed to the company that gave me my first start, you know. That's where it all happened for me. I'm a kid off the streets. Now, you know, of course, BMTV was another level because that's when you had your crossover audience, you know. It was no longer just about black this or black that. But you had a lot of the white teenagers, you know, the white college students at spring break. I used to host spring break for BET, Daytona Beach. I was hosting a lot of those, you know, back in the early, uh, late 80s and early 90s or whatever. Um, you know, Freak Nick in Atlanta. I was hosting a lot of those events like that. So, um, you know, MTV was a different whole market. So Ananda went over there. That was good for her. You know, that's pretty much what she wanted to do and needed to do. She had an opportunity to do that. And then she went on to have the Ananda Lewis show on, on primetime television. But I don't think her show survived because Ricky Lake was so big at the time. Ricky Lake just kind of just, you know, swallowed up all the all the, the followers, man, all the viewers. And her show, and Ananda's show didn't survive. So we all just continued doing different things with our career. I stayed with BET and hosted different shows and events. And Ananda did MTV and, you know, and some other things. And we all were just kind of working on different programming and different shows and networks. I went on to do some sitcom work in L.A. for a little while. And so we all had just been doing different things, making guest appearances here and there on different types of shows and so forth. Just And that's when the industry started to change. So a lot of times, you know, you had that's when you start having more of the cell phones coming out and the smartphones. And just everything started to change. And even with radio, people didn't just have to listen to local radio stations anymore. They could create their own playlists. They can do iPads and iPods and, you know, and, and you know, podcasts. And none of this stuff even existed back when we were doing BET. BET was the only game in town for you to get everything you needed, fashion, music, whatever. And so now, you know, you have thousands of televisions, you know, stations on cable. <laughs> you know, at the time, we only had maybe two or three premier cable t- channels out here, MTV, BET, and VH1. Those are the three major, you know, major, you know, cable networks. And then now you have, you know, thousands and hundreds of them, you know. So, you know, yeah. life just, you know, evolve, man. Like anything else in life, you have to grow and move on to the next level, the season mm-hmm. of your life. Yeah. Yeah, right now it's like cable on stores with all the endless possibilities and oh, yeah. choices. And looking at, oh, yeah. you know, UMC, Bounce, TV One, which started by oh, yeah. radio TV legend Kathy Hughes. Kathy Hughes. Yeah. And if you don't yeah. know who Kathy Hughes is, Google her. Google W-H-U-R, yeah. which gave birth to the quiet storm created by Melvin the Lindsay. late, great Melvin Lindsay. May he rest in peace. Exactly. And also, That's right. the movie Talk to Me, which starred Don Cheadle, oh, yeah. Chedway Edgel for Ron Chief as Entertainer. 
Petey yeah, Green, exactly. Petey Green's yep. Watchmen was one of the first shows that aired on BET mm-hmm. during its infancy. Exactly. Yep. Tell it to the hot, tell it to the cold. Exactly, you know. I mean, teach you how to eat watermelon on the show. Like, you eat some watermelon and teach you how to eat it. But when I was 10 years old, I made my first record. Um, it was a 45 record. Back then they had 45. And I was a guest on Petey Green's Washington on his show. And so, again, he's another D.C. legend, man. It was a talk show. He came out of prison and became a national talk show. So, you know, a lot of us have had different pasts, man. God took our past, you know, took our mess and turned it into a message. Not only just Petey Green, but even our mayor, mayor you know, Mayor Barry, may he rest in peace. People know him with the whole crack epidemic and the mayor that smoked crack. But what they don't know is he was one of the best mayors that we've ever had in D.C. He created jobs for um, young people, um, for senior citizens. He created the first... Um, summer youth employment. We never had jobs as kids, you know, but he created a whole program where every summer kids got paid checks, man, to work in regular, you know, businesses and stuff at the age of 13 and 14. So he did so much more than smoke crack. I want to make sure that I always put that out there because um, he, he revolutionized this city. You know, he recreated this city to be very productive and very positive, but unfortunately the drug epidemic was so big that in some kind of way or another, he got pulled into that, that, uh, that dark side of D.C., and even as the mayor, he got pulled in. But, you know, we're not surprised because the reality is that Mayor Barry got pulled into the underworld by smoking crack, just like Bill Clinton got pulled into <laughs> pornography in the White House with Monica Lewinsky. So so when you're a man of power or a woman of power, you know, you're, you're not exempt from temptation, whether it's drugs, sex, or whatever it is, you know, whether it's, you know, R. Mm-hmm. Kelly with his scandal, Bill Cosby. You know, the temptation is out here for you to get drawn into anything if you're not grounded, and that's what I'm talking about. When you're not grounded as a celebrity, that thing will have you crashing into a brick wall, man. It will, it will definitely, you know, take your life if you're not careful in one way or another. You know, and mm-hmm. Prince Michael Jackson, perfect example, the drug addiction, pain medicine, Whitney Houston, all this is a result of them losing their, their true self and living for the people, living for the fans to always be over the top and better than what they had the last time. And so sometimes because it's impossible to do that as a human being, you know, a lot of people get addicted to drugs to keep themselves up, to do more shows, more concerts, to be greater, to be better. But eventually it's killing your body and it's hurting your family. So, you know, this is what we have to start now educating, you know, our young up-and-coming um, athletes and entertainers about while, you know, creating success and wealth, don't forget about your family. Don't forget about yourself. Take them along with you, you know, live a healthy life. Right. And as of the taping of this podcast, we are a day away from the presidential election. Can you talk about the importance of BT News and the likes of Ed Gordon, Tavis Smiley to show our, our voices and how BT News was central to issues that affects us as a community that most of the major networks were not even touch? Well, you know, when you when you think of a Tavis Smiley or when you think of a, a Roland Martin, all these guys were byproducts of BET News because at the time we didn't really have any, like you say, we didn't have a voice in the news community. You know, all we did was we saw the local news and they would tell you their version of the story. And then most of the time their version always made us look like thugs and punks and, and gangster rappers. And, you know, you know, they always gave us this. Even though some of that was true, we did experience some of that. But that's a whole other conversation we can get into about the historic history of why young black men act this way in these inner cities. But the truth of the matter is that Ed Gordon was one of the premier voices. Sabrina Daines, who's still a friend of mine on Facebook, and we connect from time to time. She has a different last name that she's married. But, you know, the, you know, and Madeline Woods, they all came out of the BET News. 
And so that's when you were able to go to see 24 hours, 24 hour news um, updates about what's happening in our community. You know, it was, you know, by us and for us, you know, that kind of thing in terms of news. Um, unfortunately now, you know, you don't really have that, but then you have different, you know, smaller networks doing different things. I think, you know, TV one and a few other um, black news channel or something that I've came across recently is all black, you know, television, you know, but, but in terms of it being in the forefront, unfortunately we don't have a voice to tell our own story. And, um, and we need to bring back, you know, another version of BET where we have us, you know, speaking for us, us representing us. What made Teen Summit so amazing when we were on BET, the kids were able to see kids that looked just like them. You know, we all look like the average everyday teenagers talking about our topics. But nowadays we don't really have, you know, young people as being a voice. The only voices that we see are just the rappers, you know, or just the, um, the athletes. And it's been that way stereotypically for years where the machine, the industry, you know, politics, politics, Hollywood, or however you want to say it, whatever the powers that be, they don't mind always depicting us in those kind of images where it's always just an athlete shooting the ball. And I'm not to take anything away from that. You know, it's always us just rapping, but we do so much more. You know, we're doctors, lawyers, scientists, um, you know, we're activists, community leaders, you know, we're preachers and prophets. I mean, we have so many different things going on in our community. We're fashion designers, entrepreneurs. I mean, we have a lot of things, but nobody really exposes the other things that we have in our community. So if young people don't see these images, then they're not going to grow up to want to be like these images. You said yourself that, you know, you were inspired to go into broadcasting and journalism and radio and stuff because of people like myself and Donnie Simpson and other people that you watched and were inspired by over the years. Well, if you never had a chance to see us, then you wouldn't have the inspiration. But BET brought you, they gave you an opportunity. They gave you a choice to be able to see us and live in color, see people just like yourself, you know, who could do it, who was doing it every day, and we were real everyday people. And so now we need to get back to seeing us portray images beyond reality shows. I'm not trying to take nothing away from the reality shows, but our reality is not just about a bunch of drama. You know, women fighting each other and pulling their wings off, you know, or the brothers punching each other in the face. I mean, our reality consists of, you know, HBCUs, education, families, fathers loving their children, you know, fathers being back present in the home again. We just don't see enough of those images, um, you know, on BET or any other network. It's just a new day and a new time, and hopefully we're able to be in a position again to be, bring some of that information and exposure back to the media. Right, and that's what, you know, I try to do, you know, my platform, you know, no matter how big yes, or right. small, just be a voice for the truth and have people speak mm -hmm. it, not try to filter it in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and just yes, have right. genuine love and appreciation for anybody that comes on my platform. Now, quick hitters, mm -hmm. and I'm going to get you out of here. When I did it, when I interviewed Alvin Jones, he was telling me a funny story about video vibrations and how when whoever was in charge <laughs> of the videotape, they would upload, right. I believe it was Scooby-Doo, onto BT's mm -hmm. air feed, and you would see Scooby-Doo instead of a video. And then he said the origins of Rap City was where video vibrations, they would have this week called Rap Week. And that led to being so popular, and then that kind of got the wheels turning and turning to where mm -hmm. it was like, hmm, let's go ahead and put a show of all rap, and that's how that city mm -hmm. was born. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Alvin Jones, even to this day, is still a good friend of mine. You know, here in D.C., we always connect at different events. But uh, Alvin Jones, people never really gave him credit. You know, and he was the unseen VJ. I, I mentioned to you the unseen VJ. He was the host of Video Vibrations. 
and they called him the unseen DJ because you only heard his voice. You didn't see him. But he was a local radio personality here in D.C. many years ago during the time of Marilyn Lindsay and guys like that. But, yeah, he was one of the first creators of Rap City, the concept of Rap City, uh, because of what you just said. It was, you know, it evolved out of his show, um, you know, Video Vibrations, and then it just went to a whole other level. So, yeah, you know, shout out to Alvin Jones, who's still in the media doing his thing. But, you know, Rap City was pretty much, you know, his baby at the time. And, um, you know, we wanted our own version of a rap show, just like MTV had their version, because we wanted to tell our own story. We wanted to be able to help young black rappers have a voice in the community and make millions of dollars and, and be very successful at controlling their own, um, you know, masters and controlling their own record labels and distribution companies. So that's what Rap City pretty much did during that particular time. Um, yeah, so it was definitely a revolutionary, man. Right, and I believe, wasn't he also the voice of Midnight Love and Soft Notes? Um, I know, I think Midnight Love, um, I think they end up getting a different type of host at some point, but, you know, he did several shows. He did, like, Midnight Love, Video Vibrations, and then we had a guy named um, Captain Paul Porter, who was the voice, I think, of, you know, one of those shows. He had a very nice voice. He was a local radio personality in D.C. as well. So, so BET definitely tapped into all the, the local radio personalities. It all kind of went together, you know, television, radio. Um, I had never done radio before until I got to BET. So but those guys had already been in radio for several years before I did it. Matter of fact, I was one of the, um, so that it's noted, I was one of the youngest slow jam guys in D.C. The history of D.C. slow jams, including Melvin Lindsay, has always been older men with these real deep voices, you know, real nice. You're listening to The Quiet Storm, W-H-U-R. You know, these guys would come and, and blow us out, Kevin James and Melvin Lindsay. And so when I came along at the age of, like, 19 and 20 years old, um, you know, I was, you know, I, I had a show called Love Talking Slow Jams. And I did, you know, we interviewed different celebrities and played, you know, it was real big on WPGC with Donnie Simpson as well. And so while I was doing hip-hop during the daytime on BET or Rap City, and then I was doing slow jams at night. You know, two totally opposite styles, but I was able to hold both of them down. And you mentioned also Hitch from the Streets. Hitch from the Streets, we used to call him Ali Ali. Him and Tigger both used to be interns at the radio station when I was a radio personality at WPGC. Um, so they were interns coming up, and then they eventually moved up, and, and, you know, they had their season to do BET as well after I did it. So I think, you know, a lot of those guys came after me, you know, Tigger, Hitch from the Streets. A lot of those guys, um, you know, transitioned over to BET just like Donnie and I did. And so, you know, we, we all had our opportunity to kind of make our mark for our generation because they were sort of like a year or two or two, one or two generations after me. Um, you know, um, Tigger, um, in the basement with Tigger, that show was birthed out of my show, which is Rap City, you know, me and Chris Thomas. So, they, you know, each generation just kind of evolved into another thing. You know, we had it at the top of the house, you know, hanging out in the parks and in the streets and ticket, ticket to the basement, you know. And so, uh, yeah, it was just the evolution of Rap City and the evolution of television or BET. Mm, just a great classic network. And like I said earlier, 40 years, who would have thought that originally oh, yeah, BET was sharing time on USA before it got its own channel on satellite because Robert Johnson was a lobbyist for the cable industry in the late 70s, exactly. early 80s, and that's how he got the idea mm -hmm. of BET because you got to look at it at the time, mm -hmm. folks. TV was just three channels, four if you were lucky and had a good signal. So then right. came satellite, came the birth of ESPN, BET, mm -hmm. 
WTBS, which later became the Superstation, CNN, exactly. and all of that mm-hmm. was where we mm-hmm. see what we see today, where it's endless possibilities of channels, music. No longer do you have to sit and wait. You can say, I want this exactly. now. I can do it myself. I could punch it in myself, mm. play it when I want it. On demand. You're not gonna di- on demand. You're not going to dictate to me what's cool. <laughs> right. I'm going to dictate to you mm-hmm. what is cool. Look at what I'm watching. Look at what I'm wearing. Exactly. I influence you. You don't influence me anymore. Exactly. That's right, man. And then they gave you, they put the power mm-hmm. of television in a remote control. <laughs> so now once they put that remote control in your hand, you can control, like you say, you know, what you want, how you want it, and what kind of options. It's almost like, you know, when you go to a store, you can buy something that's already made for you, or you can buy it and customize it to, to suit your needs or whatever. And that's pretty much what cable mm-hmm. television Cable television was something that was new at the time. And now, you know, cable television went to now satellite television, that kind of, or now streaming, you know, which is the new thing. So, yeah, I mean, this evolution of media, television, and marketing. We have more ways to reach people through social media, Facebook, you know, um, you know, IG. Um, YouTube, all these different platforms that you can reach people. So, so I'm excited about me being a part of this new movement. We have several things in the making. Um, you know, what, what will bring us right back to television again, man, is the people are talking to us. So we're looking for, um, to see what these possibilities will bring, um, to, to reach back out to, you know, this newer generation and to tell our stories like I'm telling it on your platform to, um, a lot of people just don't know the history until they hear this interview. They didn't even know certain things that we mentioned. So. We definitely want to bring it back so they'll have an appreciation for the foundation of BET, all these rappers and singers and, and so forth. That's what we're here to do. Right. And for all you people out there, I'm coming on for you. <laughs> I had to throw that in there, that old BET slogan. <laughs> and uh, any yeah. shout-outs you want to give before we conclude this interview? Oh, man, well, I want to shout you out. I mean, I just want to give you your props. You reached out to me, and we had a – an opportunity to do this interview two or three different times, and I guess somehow we had scheduled clashes between both of our schedules, and we couldn't really bring it together, but I was determined to do this with you this time. I wanted to make sure that I was able to, you know, to be a blessing to you, and, and you'd be a blessing to me, and so thank you for this opportunity, and, and I really enjoyed listening to you. I listened to you interview me, and I was impressed with your, your interviewing skills, so I just want to give you props, man. I, I think you're an awesome host and interviewer, and I, and I just wish you well in the future. Um, that someone will give you the same opportunity that they gave me and expose what you're doing on a major level so that you can be a voice for the community as I am, as I was, and as I will be. So just many blessings to you and your family. Um, I'm shouting out my kids, you know, my children. You know, they, they listen to different platforms. And my son just started his own podcast. I was telling him about you, so he's new to the game. So maybe I can get you to maybe, you know, give him some tips or something about what to do. Him and his friends are starting a little podcast, you know, on the, on, on the basic level out of Charlotte, North Carolina. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is wonderful just to see you doing your thing, man. I'm really proud of you and, you know, continue blessings for you. Thank you. Like like I stated, I grew up watching, you know, yourself, Ananda, Donnie, you know, Don Cornelius, and whoever thought all those years of watching Video Soul, Soul Train, Team Summit would lead to me interviewing you and all those hosts That's of people right. who I've had a chance to interview with my 16-year career, you know, been doing this since the age of 18 and, you know, doing this on the side with the day gig just to keep my passion going and to sure, say, hey, no I still got it. Mm-hmm. That's right, right. I, I agree. Keep, and keep on pushing, man. Don't give up. You know, somebody's going to give you, somebody's going to hear you and see you 
and give you an opportunity on a bigger scale to be a blessing. And not only, let me just say this before we go, not only because I think you're pretty good at what you do, but I, just, I must say so myself, but I think you have the right kind of spirit. It's, a, it's not always just about your talent. It's really about your presentation of, of your soul, you know, where you are on a soulish level. I can feel just talking to you, man, that you have the right kind of spirit. And, and this is what the industry needs. It needs more people like myself, like you, who, you know, who have a warm spirit, we genuinely care about people, but we also love our passion, you know, about, you know, music or entertainment or whatever. But we, at the end of the day, we're still human beings. You know, we're families, we're family men, we're fathers and husbands and, you know, and, 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 and the lovers and mates and, you know, and neighbors. And so we have to affect people's lives in some kind of way, man. So I, I thank God for people like you. I just pray that God will bless you with a, a national platform that will, that will um, help you to fulfill your dream and meet all of your requirements and your needs. Thank you so very much. Real quickly, plug your social media. Social media on Facebook. Check me out. It's Derek Prince Dejour, D-U-R-I-K, Prince and Dejour, D-A-J-O-U-R. Again, that's Derek, D-U-R-I-K, Prince and then Dejour, D-A-J-O-U-R. Instagram is Derek Dejour. So check me out. Reach All out. right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. There you have it. The one, the only, the incredible Derek Prince Dejour. You can catch this interview on all streaming platforms where you can hear Beyond the Album Cover, Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast and the video and the video portion of this interview or the video version, I should say, will be on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash J85. Subscribe and follow. Be sure to go to Facebook.com slash Beyond the Album Cover to get updated with all show news. Ladies and gentlemen, Prince Dejour. Thank you once again for coming on Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you, brother.